This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Hey, this is Sam Bam Colton from Dorothy, Faster Pussycat, and Butterside. Yes, that's a sentence. And you're listening to The Hook Rock with Jim Scott. everyone welcome back it's the hook rocks the ultimate rock community podcast thanks for tuning in once again always appreciate when you come by and give us a listen to see what i'm gabbing about and who i'm gabbing with and we've got a great show lined up for you today we're going to get into it here shortly but as i always mention prior to every episode we are part of the pantheon podcast network a great network of music related podcasts you can check out a lot of my friends in the podcast community on pantheon like tom and zeus on the shout out loudcast mac on the ugly american werewolf in london podcast the great legendary dj mistress carrie martin popoff the rock historian Carmen Apice and Vinny Apice on the Hanging and Banging podcast, as well as Chris and Aaron on Decibel Geek. So check out all those and more. There's something for everyone on Pantheon, all different types of genres, all different types of perspectives. So check that out at PantheonPodcast.com and on social media, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook at Pantheon Pods. Don't forget to check out us on all social media platforms, or at least most of them, on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter at The Hook Rocks, as well as all podcast platforms. We are everywhere Amazon, Google, Apple, Spotify, you name it. All the Hook Rocks episodes are on there, whether it's the newest and latest episodes or the older episodes. We've got over 400 for you to enjoy talking about music, talking about different topics. So hopefully you dive in and you give us a listen. You go back and listen to some of that old stuff and uh, write us a review if you want to and give us a kind word we always appreciate that we've had some great episodes recently we recently aired the tuck smith interview as well as tyler bryant tyler bryant just released a great album a couple weeks ago as tuck smith prepares for his new album in november so check out those two great episodes we had ignescent the chicago area band on the new music spotlight great episode as We've also had some other episodes, too, as well. We did another New Music Spotlight with Bourbon House, their third time on the show. They've got some new singles out. 
So check out my interview with Lacey and Jason. They just keep doing wonderful things and growing their audience. And they are a band that I'm a fan of and you should be a fan of. So uh, check that out. Uh, check that episode out as well as the interview with Paul Moak. The first episode of our producers series on The Hook Rocks. Paul has a uh, great litany of bands and artists that he has worked with and getting his perspective on working behind the glass behind the board is always a great treat for all our all of us music nerds that are out there to kind of hear how you motivate hear how you speak to hear how you get the most out of all the bands and artists that he records with so check out that episode as well as plenty others we also released a new playlist on spotify the top 25 songs of new rock over the last month so search up the Hook Rocks on Spotify and you'll be able to get that playlist as well. As I mentioned, we've got a great episode for you. We welcome back our audio expert who is just an awesome dude and an awesome guest. We've had some great conversations on whether it's how to maintain and, and get great acoustics at your house, ear protection for when you go to a concert, whether it's the building your own stereo system. And what streaming services are the best? So check out those previous episodes with Rob, and you can follow him at Skylab Tapes on Twitter. He's a great follow, and these episodes are always wonderful, and I like to welcome him back. What's going on, Rob? How are you? Hey, Jay. I'm doing really good, man. Uh, it's uh, it's great to be back here. Uh, I don't think uh, we've actually talked live since we were at that Kotzen show at the Arcada together a couple weeks back. Yeah, that was a great show, man. Every time I see oh. him, it, it just amazes me just how he plays and what he does. And yeah, it was good to see you. We also had High Stick Mick there too as well. And I think Chris oh, was super. There, but I, yeah, but I don't think we Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, no, I did he see was. him. There. He was I did see him at the end of the show. That's right. So you yeah, and was Chris there was there too as well. Those are some of our Twitter followers, but it was a great show. It was just a super fun, super, uh, you know, I mean, just incredible guitar playing and singing for Richie. I am uh, uh, loved it. Great stuff. It always amazes me how talented that guy is. Yeah, I seriously. Mean, he, he sings like absolutely incredible voice. His guitar playing is second to none. That's and really true. It's just, yeah, he's just one of the, he's one of the greats, man. He's the goods. And if yeah, I think he's out, really underappreciated too, which is oh, a shame because uh, sure. I mean, you know, the more I, my wife said the same thing I mean, she, she only knew a tiny bit about his music and she was just blown away by that show. And, uh, and, and, you know, said afterward that she literally read me his entire wiki page on the drive home. <laughs> because um, she was so into it it was like that guy should be so much more popular than he is he should uh, be he should he be should. yeah, yeah. He, no he's the only one only guitar player that i know of that can play like that and shred with like an r&b flair to it yeah yeah exactly and he has such and and, and you know vocally he has such a soulful voice yeah, uh, you know, it's just uh, it's kind of a trip. Yeah, he's uh, he's great. I'm psyched that we'll get to see him again in the spring in uh, in Winery Dogs. Yeah, and hopefully at some point we do see a Smith Cotson tour because that would be yeah. Nice. They only did a handful of shows, uh, you know, together, which I and I think the U.S. ones were all in California, if I'm not mistaken, which was a bummer because I'd have been all over that. Yeah, I think it was California, and I think they did two. I think one was in Vegas, or maybe both of them were in Vegas. I know they did two shows outside. I think it was either one in Vegas and one in Arizona or both in Vegas. But yeah, it was all West Coast. Yep, exactly. Yeah. Little little far for us, unfortunately, but uh uh but maybe next time. Maybe when Maiden does a break, they Yeah, can, there uh, you go. I yep. you know, I think he should just have Winery Dogs and the Smith Cotson co-headline and have Cotson just play for three hours, hour and a half sets each. I'm certain he could do it. <laughs> Absolutely. Yep. Well, right on. We are going to get into something a little different here. Uh, it's an interesting topic because there's been a lot of transition with a lot of independent artists building their own home studios in their own house, whether it's yep. in their basement, whether it's in their garage, 
whether it's in a separate room in the house, because the costs of recording music keeps going up just like everything else does. And one of the things you've seen over the last decade, when I talk with artists, I just had Tyler Bryan on, who has his own studio in the basement of his house. And there's plenty of others that have that as well, either to fully record an album from demo to album to keep recording when you're just kind of noodling around on the guitar. You're just trying to find a riff. You're recording everything. You can't do that at a studio. You can't just go in a studio and rent hours at a time and just sit there and noodle because it costs money. And um, if you're just making demos to shop to a record label or to shop for to a, you know for a producer if you're doing that. So there's a lot of different reasons why an artist, why a band does this. Uh, namely, it's cost, but two, it really it's really limitless when they're in the creative process because they have that ability to if they record something and they don't remember how to play it, which does happen, they can go back to the tape and hear it and try to relearn it. But we're going to talk about home studios and home studio equipment for a lot of younger bands who, again, are trying to save costs or trying to do it. You can definitely do it with good equipment and get your songs out to your fan base, get your songs out on streaming services by just doing this. So we're going to dive into it. And I couldn't think of anyone better to do it with than our audio expert, Skylab, Mr. Rob. So what are your thoughts? What do you, what, where, where do we begin on this conversation? I think I think the best place to begin is with a bit of how this hall this has all evolved, right? Because you're certainly right on. I mean, the, you know, the ability to record at home has is um, you know much more prevalent now than it's ever been for a lot of technological reasons. And it's funny you just touched on one of the artistic ramifications of that, which I hadn't really thought of. I mean, obviously, my discussion is going to be more uh, you know more on the technology side, but. Um, but there are a, a lot of advantages of being able to do this from home as opposed to having to do everything in a studio that you're paying by the hour for. Um, so, uh, you know, it, uh, I mean, it, and it has certainly massively impacted the ability, as you also said, for people to get music out there. And I mean, we're seeing that, right? I mean, more bands release, more different bands release albums now than it's got to be ever because things are just not so tightly controlled. But let, let's start with just, you know, I like to start with a bit of history, right? So, uh, you know, so let's start with a bit of history. So, you know, in the in the very early days of music recording, uh, and, uh, you know, that was, of course, mostly, uh, you know, mostly jazz and, and, and sort of early blues, um, uh, you know, the and when I'm talking about early now, I'm talking about the early 1900s, right? I mean, you know, electricity had barely been created and then people were instantly trying to figure out how to record music. Um uh, and, you know, it, as you can imagine in that era, the, you know, the, the technology available to make uh, any kind of, of, you know, mass recording was you know, pretty limited. Um, so, uh, you know, there were some very basic setups and, and, and there were a bunch of different kind of emerging technologies. And the one that got the one that got the most uh, initial traction was, you know, what now would be referred to as direct to disc, where, you know, they were basically recording on what amounted to. Uh, uh, you know, it was a record. It wasn't, it wasn't technically either vinyl or an LP back then, right? It was an acetate. Um, but, uh, you'd record directly to one of those and then you'd make an inverse copy of that and then you'd stamp out a bunch of records. And that was the first way, you know, that, uh, you know, that, that even relatively large numbers of records could be made. And, uh, you know, microphone technology was, uh, you know, still, you know, very early, uh, you know, there was very limited electronic equipment. So it was sort of, it was sort of all over the place. The big, big technological um, uh, breakthrough for recording was tape, right? So a tape actually, magnetic tape actually came to be in the, in the late 1920s, believe it or not, but it didn't start to get used in any significant way for music recording until the 1940s, till the late 1940s. Um, and, and once it did, it, the combination of that and a you know significant improvement in microphone technology a lot of a lot of which by the way was driven from uh world war ii technological innovations right the, you know things that were developed technologies that were developed during the war um uh you know meant that you had the ability to make very high suddenly really very high quality recordings and uh, you know albums 
that were recorded in, uh, you know, just 10 years ago sounded absolutely terrible compared to what uh, suddenly started to happen uh, in the early 1950s. And there are some recordings from the early 1950s that are still jazz recordings that are still revered as some of the best sounding recordings ever made. Um, so, uh, you know, there, it, it went from, it went from just sort of a hodgepodge of technology to, uh, you know, something that was, uh, you know, really very, very good and very clear. Um, and, uh, you know, once, you know, once that happened, um, uh, and, 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 you know, that also then led from a distribution perspective to the advent of the long playing vinyl record, you know, right about that same time. And you now had, uh, you now had good front end electronics in recording studios, good, uh, media in tape, which was really, you know, real to real tape, um, to, uh, you know, to record onto, um, and you suddenly started getting, you know, mass distribution of music recordings and, and in very high quality, uh, you know, that, that really blew up in the 1950s. Uh, and so, you know, there, that led to the rise of the professional recording studio. Um, uh, and, uh, you know, some of the, you know, some of the, uh, you know, really seminal things. I don't know. Did you watch any of that series uh, um, um, on Apple? Uh, uh, Get back, the, you know, about the whole uh, recording the of that era. The Beatles. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, you know, as a, as a recorded geek, right? One of the things that I thought was the you know the Beatles stuff was cool too, of course. But one of the things I thought was awesome was watching a, a very very young Alan Parsons standing in front of this gigantic bank of tape decks, doing all of the tape recording for those for all of those sessions. Um, uh, you know, cause he was, uh, Alan Parsons was their tape engineer. That's how he got started in the music business. Um, and, uh, you know, there, uh, you know, they, you know, there was a lot of, one of the things that I thought was really cool about that show was there was a lot of visibility into, you know, the setup of how they recorded all that from a technology perspective, not just, you know, on the music side. So, uh, you know, as you advance through then, uh, you know, the 50s and into the uh, 60s and 70s, you know, every single album made in the 60s and 70s, which was, of course, uh, you know, just a slew of epic, epic albums, was recorded onto analog tape. Uh, you know, that was how it was done. And analog tape allowed things like, you know, the ability to do editing and multi-track and, uh, you know, to... Uh, you know, suddenly, you know, not have to have the performance be perfect because you can just go back and, and, and overdub the thing, right? Which, which wasn't the case in the beginning. So, uh, you know, the, the, the paradigm, it was really analog tape and multi-track tape specifically that, that created the paradigm of the big time recording studio. Because you could have these big, uh, you know, big consoles with lots of inputs uh, and, you know, mix and, and record directly to tape and then, you know, remix and remix and remix to the extent that you wanted to because, you know, tape allowed for that. Um, and, and, you know, some of the, you know, that caused the growth of some of these now, uh, you know, just legendary recording studios like Bearsville and Muscle, Muscle Shoals and the Beatles own Abbey Road. Um, and, uh, you know, these were, and all of the big record labels had their own, you know, Capitol had some really famous recording studios. So, uh, you know, the, the, you know, that's where all of the magic happened. The issue with that, like you described, was that these are, these were expensive, right? I mean, if you didn't get a, if you didn't somehow get a record contract, um, uh, you know, there, you know, there, you weren't getting into any of these records, recording studios, right? Unless you just happened to be independently wealthy, which most bands weren't. Um, so, you know, it, you know, it was a very, you know, it was a very, um, uh, you know, record company driven model because they, you know, there was no way that you were paying for the recording time the recording studio time by yourself as an artist. So, you know, I love, I love a good rock doc, right? So one of the other really interesting rock documentaries I, I watched recently was about the band Kansas. Um, and, you know, they, they had to play live in order to get noticed. And they went from playing live to a record contract, right? They never recorded anything. <laughs> um, until they got a record contract because they were, you know, essentially discovered playing live. And that's how a lot of that stuff happened back then. Um, so, uh, because it, you, you know, you weren't setting up equipment to make, uh, you know, any kind of high quality recording typically, in, you know, in your basement or garage or spare bedroom or whatever, um, just way, way, way too cost prohibitive to do so. Um, 
So then in the early 1980s, the the dawn of the digital era happened, right? And so uh, the the, early digital recordings were still the same paradigm. Uh, And in fact, early digital recordings were done on digital tape decks. It was still magnetic tape, just like it had been used before. Um, But they were, you know, they were being, they were being recorded digitally to a special kind of digital tape. And the reason for that is that, uh, you know, it's easy to forget about this, uh, you know, what things were like back then in the advent of, of, of really cheap digital hard drives. I mean, right now, you know, you can go to, you can go to Walgreens and buy a, you know, half terabyte flash drive for 25 bucks right but that wasn't i mean that certainly wasn't true for a very long time i mean there were there were not hard drives big enough to record quality music on uh and and there was not editing software to be able to do the things that needed to be done you know, back in the early days of digital recording, all of that, you know, ultimately did come. Um, but initially it was still big time recording studios, big time studio mixing boards, recording to digital tape. And then, you know, that digital tape would actually have to be mixed in analog, uh, even if it was going to be redigitized again for release on CD. And that's how things went through the 80s and, and uh, you know, really most of the 90s until you started to get to the point where, uh, both digital storage became cheap enough. Um, uh, you had uh, CPU processing power that was uh, powerful enough um, uh, to do all of this in digital. And so once that really started to happen, um, you started to see the rise of the home recording studio. Um, and you know there you know, over time, that has become uh, those have become higher and higher quality. Uh, the you know to the point where you can really make if you do just a few basic things and we'll talk about some of those I mean you can make fabulous sounding recordings at home it is no longer necessary to go to a big time recording studio to make good sounding recordings and a lot of artists even some established ones uh, you know now record all of their stuff at home and don't ever actually go to any kind of uh, recording company or, or, you know, independent big time recording studio to do them in. Uh, You know, some of them obviously still do. And I think some of that probably has to do with how they want the creative process to run more than it does any kind of technological reason to actually go there. Um, uh, Some, you know, some bands don't want to do their own mixing, right? So, uh, you know, there's also, you know, there's also people who do independent mixing and mastering and and all that kind of stuff. But so as, as, as as these digital technologies advanced, what you, uh, what became possible was to buy a powerful computer, get some digital storage and uh, get a software kind of program called referred to as a DAW or a digital audio workstation, right? And you know, the big examples of a digital audio workstation are Logic for Apple computers or Pro Tools for Windows, you know, which allow you to do kind of all of the digital recording and mixing um, that a typical large studio uh, mixing desk would have done. Uh, you know, but but you know, all of that's just done on the computer. Um, and so, you know, the, you know, there are still other things that are, you know, that are needed. Uh, you've got to have some kind of digital music interface for your actual instruments, right? Um, and, uh, and if you're assuming that you're doing vocals, uh, you have to have a microphone to record vocals. Um, uh, but, those, you know, those things, I mean, musicians are very often going to have that kind of stuff anyway. Uh, and, and, you know, you... Uh, you need also then a, a good setup for actually monitoring um, the recording and listening to it. And we'll talk a little bit more about that specifically in a second too. But all of those tools are now there so that you can, you know, you can set up a home studio using largely the instruments that you're going to be playing anyway. Um, and, uh, you know, and just a, you know, a good, uh, a good, well-equipped computer and uh, the right software and, and, and kind of off you go. So the whole paradigm, because of the digital technology, the whole paradigm completely shifted uh, away from the requirement, right? and really total requirement. You couldn't really do it any other way or very rarely was it, was it done outside of a big time recording studio 
to the point where you can record at home. Uh, you know, not it's not free. Obviously, the time is free. Uh, but you know, for you know, relatively modest investments over time in in you know gear and software. And so that's you know that's what's led to the ability for lots and lots of of artists to make recordings at home without any record company involvement. And of course, you know, you've had a bunch of great guests like Christy and Eagle on to talk about music distribution. You know, you don't need a record company to distribute your music anymore either, right? So, so you know, the combination of those things, has, you know, has led to uh, you know a, a a easier path to releasing music independently. Uh, including the recording part of it, than uh, than has ever existed. There's still an attraction, though, to recording analog or on you know with the analog tape in in these studios. I mean, I see it all the time where artists are still cutting tape. You know, oh yeah, and there's still that essence of recording that romantic way of recording. You know, the throwback way. Uh, there's still the importance of a room on, you know, with these big studios or these studios that still exist. Why do you think there's still an attraction to that with all the technology existing out there where you can do it at home? Yeah, it's, you know, it's a, it, it, it's also sort of interesting, right? So, you know, there, there are considerations around both things. So first of all, I, you know, I am after all on Twitter, as you know, Skylab tapes, Right. I'm a big fan of analog tape. And I do think that analog tape is phenomenal sounding. And so you're absolutely right. There have been some there have been some big time examples lately of albums that were recorded 100 percent in analog on analog tape. Uh, the most recent album by the Red Hot Chili Peppers was done that way. Um, the uh, uh, the uh, album from last year, uh, OK Human by Weezer, was done that way. Um, uh, I don't remember the name, but there was a Lady Gaga album recently that was recorded that way. Um, uh, and you know, even on a smaller scale, and I, I honestly wonder sometimes how they did it because it's not cheap to record on analog tape anymore. Um, uh, but the, uh, the, um, uh, progressive band Atraxis that I like a lot has, uh, has made their albums, uh, in a hundred percent analog. So yes, analog tape, ha- it does have, you know, kind of an appealing, sound to it um that uh you know that some artists you know prefer to digital and i certainly get why uh and so they have uh, they have done that now that said um there are uh there are only a couple of companies making a tiny handful of reel-to-reel tape decks anymore um and so you know mostly the decks that are in existence are ones that are just being lovingly maintained by a studio there are some companies still making analog tape so you can you know you can record on all that but it's not an inexpensive proposition and it's being you know it's being done typically in a in a larger studio aside from the aside from the tape part uh in answer to your question there's also the there's also the sound of the room itself right i mean we talked i think in our last uh discussion together about room acoustics that applies big time in studios too right so you know one of the things so i, I uh you know my son's recorded some albums at home uh and has uh, and has released those 100% recorded them 100% at home recorded them 100% himself and released them himself uh and i actually think generally speaking they sound pretty good the thing that was the toughest was the vocals um, and there were two reasons for that. One was getting a good vocal microphone, uh, and he did ultimately buy a Shure SM58, which uh, is good. Um, but look, he's still recording them in my house, right? I mean, it, you know, there's not an acoustically treated room to record vocals in in my house. <laughs> um, and and so, you know, you invariably don't, you know, you can get some of these amazing rooms that are specifically set up for vocal recording in studios. The, I mean, that does have an advantage and, you know, not just that, but an SM58 is fine, but some vocals are recorded on these really fancy Neumann, you know, tube microphones, you know, with the pop filter in front and, uh, you know, all of that kind of stuff. So if you're, you know, if you're Red Hot Chili Peppers or Weezer or whatever, uh, you know, you, you may think that that's a really good way to get a great sound out of an album, uh, you know, that's a little different from what everybody else is putting out there. And I think that's probably, you know, it's unquestionably true. Um, but that's still expensive. It's an expensive proposition to do these days. The cheap route is to do it in digital. When you look at the considerations for a home studio and where to begin, 
does the equipment come first and then worry about the room? Does the room even matter anymore? What is important when you are considering starting or building your own home studio? Yeah, it's a, it, it's a great question. So, you know, most people who are recording uh, at home into a studio um, are plugging all of the instruments directly into uh, the digital audio interface. So, you know, they're not miking an amp uh, and then uh, and then recording that and digitizing that. Um, the the two big the two big toughies are vocals and drums. Right. And so, uh, you know, there are, uh, you know, there, and, and drums are, drums are, I mean, first of all, you have to be a drummer, but even aside from that, drums are hard enough to record um, that, you know, a lot of people will do that separately um, and, and, uh, you know, use just a, you know, use just an electronic drum track for the demo and then go in and record the drums separately. Um, uh, you know, drums are hard to mic, uh, you know, they're, you know, that's a much, that's a much tougher thing to do in a home studio than just about anybody else. I mean, I've seen some, I've seen some great shots of, of home studios, uh, you know, not surprisingly, Mike Portnoy has an amazing home studio to record drums in. And in fact, I'm pretty sure he has three separate setups in his house. Um, but, uh, you know, but I mean, he's, you know, he's one of the best drummers of all time. Most people, you know, are not in that, in that position. Um, uh, and, you know, so that's tough from a room perspective. And then like we were, like we were saying, vocals is the other bit that's, that's kind of tough. But aside from that, um, you know, you can do all of the rest of it, guitar, bass, keyboards, uh, you know, all of that, you just plug directly into the digital interface and then, uh, you know, start, uh, you know, you monitor it with, uh, you know, either, and I want to talk about monitoring in a minute, but you, you know, with either whatever, you know, whatever you're using for monitoring, whether it's headphones or speakers, um, and you're, uh, you know, you're, you're often, you're often running. So, uh, you know, there, uh, the acoustics of the space matter for vocals and drums and they, you know, they can be made to not matter for recording pretty much everything else. Um, the, uh, you know, there, the most, you got to start with the computer, right? I mean, that's where, you know, that for digital recording, the, the computer and the DAW, the digital audio workstation are the things that you've got to start with. Um, and then the, you know, the digital interface to actually, uh, you know, plug the instruments into and get them digitized so that that those streams are uh, captured on the DAW. Um, and then the other big component is you need to be able to listen to the thing, right? So, and, you know, over, over, over time, you know, studios had, recording studios had unbelievable, you know, monitoring capabilities. Some of them had totally separate rooms, uh, you know, for listening to the mix in versus the actual studio itself. Uh, you know, the uh, um, studio monitors were a thing by themselves. The most important thing for monitoring is a familiarity with the sound of the thing you're monitoring on, right? Because what you're trying to accomplish with a monitor is, you know, you mean you're trying to make it sound good, obviously, but you know, it's not just the, the absolute, so the absolute sound quality of how you're monitoring needs to be handled. It needs to be good. I mean, it, it can't be crappy or you don't really know what you're, what you're listening to. But in addition to that, you need to be familiar enough with it that you understand, you know, kind of what the changes that you may make in the, you know, in the mix as you're, you know, as you're editing it in the DAW, uh, you know, are going to, are, are actually yielding. And yes, you can certainly do speakers. Um, and there are, uh, you know, a massive variety of home recording uh, studio speakers. Um, I've heard some really good ones from companies like Genelec. Um, you know, there are, uh, you know, the better ones obviously are, are pretty expensive. The less expensive route to get a really good um, sound quality for monitoring is headphones. Um, and, uh, you know, if you can, if you, if you're, if you can do that and there isn't a compelling need, you know, for a bunch of people to listen to it at once, um, you know, you can get really great, uh, headphones for monitoring from companies like Sennheiser and Biodynamic, uh, you know, that are made and others that are made for that sort of thing that are, you know, a, a three or $400 as opposed to several thousand dollars for a really good pair of loudspeakers to monitor through. So, uh, you know, there, so that's, you know, I think that's what, you know, that's what a lot of people do for home studio monitoring, um, is, uh, you know, is use headphones 
because they're so much more affordable and still can sound, you know, give every bit of the kind of sound quality you need to pick out the details that you're trying to monitor for. When you're putting together this stuff and you buy the computer, obviously, you know, you need the memory, you need the space to do it. And you pretty much need to designate that computer to only for recording, right? You don't want that to be your personal computer. It's pretty much locked and loaded with what you need with the interface and everything that you need to record music. But when you're going into getting the interfaces, which is what you should, you know, which is like the the second step after you acquire the computer, the computer that you're going to use, when you go into Pro Tools or the other, uh, the Apple. Logic. Logic. Yeah, Logic. Are there different types of interfaces that give you what you want from the recording? Or is that all, or does it matter, right? I mean, because like when you go and get a, a, a pedal for a guitar, right? You get yep. a wah pedal, you get a distortion pedal. In your chasing tone, you acquire what you want to help give you that tone, help get you closer to that sound that you have. With the interface, is it all carte blanche in terms of just, it gives you, if you want, you know, a hard rock style, if you want an R&B style, if you want, or, or is that even an option or is that even something to even think about when you're putting this together well you know it's 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 funny but a lot of a lot of people do want to use I mean, pedals are a great example a lot of people do want to use pedals that they've used to play with because they they're familiar with and like the sound but i mean you know part of the attraction to uh, to digital audio workstations and and to you know doing all this digitally is you can add effects of all kinds, uh, you know, even after you've recorded the basic track, right? So, I mean, you can you can play a guitar part and then decide you want it fuzzier or wahier or however you want to pronounce it, and then you just put in that sound. Um, now, you know, is that as compelling as the sound of an actual pedal? I, you know, I'm not a guitar player personally, but I, you know, I, I, you know, I'm sure there are guitar players that would say, no, you have to use an actual pedal to get it to sound that way. And I, you know, I would certainly believe that, you know, musicians have to do what they think is, is, is best, but, you know, you absolutely can put in tons and tons and tons of effects, uh, you know, in in the digital domain. And the other thing that's amazing about the digital domain, of course, is it's super easy, you know, to to, tr- to you know put it in, try it. And if you don't like it, tweak it, take it out, right? Whatever. Um, I mean, it's the ultimate in editable. Now, uh, you know, along the lines of your question, though, there are some considerations for sure. So. Um, you know, we've talked before about uh, digital audio resolution and the differences in, in, in resolution for digital audio. And one of the important considerations for a home workstation and the way that you record is that you want your interface to be capable of a very high resolution and you want to record in as high a resolution digitally as possible. So, you know, I'm sure some people will say, well, I'm just going to record in CD quality because my ultimate, uh, you know, my ultimate digital format's going to be CD or streaming. And so I'm not going to record, you know, any higher than that. I, you know, I personally think that's a big mistake. And there's no, you know, with hard drive space as cheap as it is these days, record in as high a resolution as you possibly can. Um, and, and, you know, I, I, I would be very strongly recommend people record in 192, uh, 24, right? Because you can, and all of these software programs will let you do that. Um, and then you can always downsample later if you need to cut a CD or, or you know, or, or reduce it for a given streaming service or whatever. But even a lot of streaming services stream in high res now, right? So you know, Tidal and and, and Apple HD and uh, you know, I mean, they're you know, they're the the better the better you make the digital quality, the better um, the ultimate output is going to be. Are there advancements in the technology happening? One would think that once these interfaces are created. They pretty much give you what you want. They give you the sounds that you want. Where does the improvements go? Where do the upgrades go with these in- interfaces? Yeah, that's a that's a, that, that's a good question. I mean, you know, it, I I think you know, things were changing so fast for so long, right? And and you know, there were you know all throughout even the two thousands, uh, you know, storage space was. Uh, you know, especially in the, you know, in the, in the first decade of the 2000 storage space was still relatively expensive versus what it is now. 
Um, uh, you know, the you know, CPUs have continued to get more and more powerful. Um, you know, there are a lot of things that have that that now I think are. I mean, it's probably not possible for hard drive space to get any cheaper than it is today. I mean, it's 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 not quite free, but <laughs> but it's gotten it's gotten almost close. Um, uh, and uh, and you know, there are a lot of what's happening in the. Uh, in the CPU era, it simply means that you can, you know, you can record more conveniently. I mean, you know, I, I, uh, I know, you know, there are, there are times where my son, and you talked about this in, in the creative process, right? Um, and I only get to witness this for the stuff my son does. Uh, you know, the, there are times when I know he will get an idea and he'll just run upstairs and plug the guitar into his iPad and record it. Because it fundamentally doesn't matter if he does it that way or sits down, you know, in 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 front of the computer to do it later. Um, all he's, you know, he's already got it so that he can capture that, uh, you know, in very high digital resolution and do whatever he wants to do with it later. But he's more concerned about the immediacy of recording the idea that he has, um, uh, and so he's got the set, he's got the setup to be able to do that. So I, I, you know, I think that's where a lot of the, you know, a lot of the improvements are. You know, I mean, you could, you know, he's doing that to an iPad, but I mean, hell, you can do that with your iPhone. Right. I mean, there uh, and and I think musicians are you know, a lot of musicians are taking advantage of the ability to do that kind of thing. Um, and then, you know, it just it's made it's made an enormous difference in terms, uh, you know, all of that stuff in, has in terms of distribution. Um, uh, you know, there you get you can get albums if you don't want to do a physical media release. Um, you can get albums out very, very quickly uh, because of uh, because of how you know easy all of that's become. And that, you know, that has changed so much in just the last couple of years. I, you know, where, you know, where it's hard for me to say where the improvements are going to come from now, because things have changed so radically in the last, uh, in the last two decades. Um, uh, you know, it's a little, it's a little hard to, uh, it's a little hard to imagine some of these dynamics shifting even more, but you know, I mean, the one thing we know is that they will. <laughs> Does the room still matter? I guess is the next question. I, we touched on it a little bit. Do you still need, and, and what I mean by that, is do you need to still outfit a room like you would the studio? Do you need to put carpets over the walls to improve the acoustics? Do you need to do all that stuff on the floors and everything? Do you need to really do that in a home studio? You know, I I, I think there are some people who would say that you do. I you know, I, I I think that you know, room acoustics are are you know, super complicated. And we had almost a whole episode on that. Right. Um, and uh, you know, there, it, it depends on what you're starting with. Right. I mean, if you, if you have a, if you have a room that is already carpeted and, 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 you know, happens to sound pretty good and it doesn't have a lot of, you know, echoey stuff in it, uh, you know, then you know you could probably do just a few basic things. A lot of domestic homes though, the rooms are just square. Um, and, and it's square drywall with nothing on them. And that is going to sound bad for sure. So you have to do something in a room like that, um, to, uh, you know, deaden the surfaces and you know reduce the sort of slap echo type stuff that you get in a, in a room like that. So yeah, carpet, uh, you know, stuff in the room, you know, even things like cushy furniture matters, uh, you know, in terms of, in terms of improving the acoustics. So yes. You know that uh, you know again for recording vocals matters a lot. Uh, for recording drums, it can matter some. Um, but you're you know there for vocals especially. You're going to you're going to hear the root the space when you record vocals. There's there, there's no there's really no way around that. Um, to some extent, you're going to hear the space. So uh, you know, you've got to have you got to have a, a decent space to record vocals in. Um, uh, or they're not going to sound good, no matter what you do. Well, there's still that sound of, of you know the tone that you're searching for with a guitar, right? I mean, there's a guitar player with a home studio who's got the Pro Tools, but he still has that tone that he's captured. And does the room, will the room affect that tone? And then when you go and try to make up for that that room with the with the software and the interface, does that make it more difficult? to get that sound that you're that you're trying to get i guess the question is you're playing right you're still playing the guitar you're still hearing the tone you still have your style your signature sound when you're playing when you're in a room it could be affected by by the sound could be affected by the room you're in going into the interface 
is is it harder to fix is what i'm asking is it harder to find what you're what you're hearing in your head yeah so uh, you know there if you've if you've just if you've just plugged the guitar into the into the interface directly the room doesn't factor in at all right and and you know there it'll be because you're not there's no acoustic link between the guitar and the digital interface right you're just you're going literally out of the a uh, uh, quarter inch phone jack from the guitar and into the interface. So, you know, but that, that's only one way of recording it there. Are, you know, there, there are undoubtedly guitar players who actually want to mic the sound of the guitar played through the amp when they record it. Right. And in that case, but you know, the, the acoustics of the room definitely matter again. Um, and to your point, that's the sound you got then. Right. And your ability to mess with it, you know, is more limited because you've already kind of predetermined, you know, all of the parts of the sound. You know, I think if you're going directly into, you know, from the guitar into the interface, you're going to be putting some kind of effect in the digital audio workstation on the guitar, more than likely. Right. You're not, you know, you're not going to just take the sound you know, directly from the guitar itself. Uh, without you know doing something to it, um, and so you know you have, at that point you have a lot of options. So uh, you know there, if you know exactly the sound that you want, and I think you know I, I think probably a more um, uh, you know this is just a guess uh, you know because I'm not a guitar player myself, right? But a more you know a more seasoned guitar player may have a really firm idea of what they want it to sound like. But you know a uh, uh, you know a, a younger guitar player or just somebody who likes to do this sort of thing may want to experiment with you know more with the sound of it later. You know, so they're you know they're playing you know they're playing the song and they're playing the guitar part and they're playing the riff. Um, but exactly the you know the ultimate sound of it is something that they will you know sometimes spend a very long time manipulating in the digital domain after the actual playing of it to get the exact sound that they want. But if you're doing it that way, the room doesn't matter. It only matters if you're miking the sound of the amp, uh, you know, while the, you know, that's being used to play the guitar and recording it that way, uh, two, two totally different ways of doing it. If you're choosing a room in a house or a room on the property, is it the basement? Is it the garage? Are those the two best options? They're probably the worst options. Um, because a basement and a garage are almost certainly going to have a concrete floor with no padding. Right. So, you know, now that, you know, modern homes may have, uh, you know, a room in the basement that's got more padding. Um, but, uh, you know, they're, you're already kind of battling uphill. Um, if you are, um, you know, if you're doing, uh, if you're doing it that way, um, there are, you know, you're probably going to start with a better sounding room if you're using a spare bedroom or, you know, a room that was designed as a den or something like that. Um, just because you very likely you've already got some carpet down in there, um, and some furniture in it. And, and just, you know, you're not, you're not starting with all hard floors and walls. The enemy of good sound is hard floors and walls. So the less of those, the less of those you have, the better. So if you are going to use the, one of those two options, you really have to outfit the room regardless of what interface you're using. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, if you're starting, look, if you're starting from an empty box, right, no matter where that is in the room, you're going to have to do some things to try to, you know, improve the sound quality of it, for sure. You know, my this was the most convenient place to do it. But here, uh, you know, there, there happens to be a room in our house on the second floor that's got no parallel walls, which is great. Um, that, you know, after some carpet was put down in there and a couple of other things were done actually sounds pretty good. And that's where, uh, that's where, uh, my son does all of this recording. So is it a matter, you know, you mentioned the first thing you do with a studio is get the computer, but if you're using a basement, a garage, really? Yes. I mean, obviously the computer at some point has to be purchased but outfitting that room before you record is probably step number two or step number one in some cases 
Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, it, you know, if they're if they're going to need to do any significant amount of actual work to the room, uh, you know, they're that then that that uh, certainly does have to come first, and 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 it does need to be. It can't be a total afterthought for sure, right? So uh, you know, they're and and if you literally have one room to do everything in. Right. The you know, you've got you've got to put the computer in the desk somewhere. Uh, you know, the, the instruments are going to be in there somewhere. Um, and uh, and then, uh, you know, you've got um, you've got to deal with the acoustics of the room. And then the other thing about the other the, once all that's in place, then the other thing that that, of course, matters because you know that's just a part of room acoustics is um, you know, where in the room. Are you going to put the microphone to record the vocals? Because where it is will actually also make a difference, and that's going to require some experimentation. Um, uh, you know, with you know, to having the microphone and trying it in different spots in the room to see, you know, where you know you get the cleanest sound. You know, there are um, uh, in a domestic setting like that. Really, what you're after is just trying to make it so that, to the extent possible, you don't actually hear the room. <laughs> um, uh, and, and, uh, you know, there, you know, there are people who, you know, go through great lengths to record vocals in a certain acoustic space, right? Like, uh, you know, like a church or something like that because of the natural reverb that it'll put in there. But in the context of a home recording studio in the digital domain, most people are adding certain, just like with the guitar, most people are adding the reverb type and quantity that they want to the vocal in the digital domain. So what you're after for the vocals is just to be as clean as possible um, and, you know, not have stuff in there from, you know, that are contributions of the sound of the room that you can't really get rid of because you can add stuff in the digital domain really easily. Getting rid of stuff is a lot harder, <laughs> right? So, you know, you want that, you know, you want the vocals to be, you know, as clean and really almost dry as possible um, so that you can, uh, you know, in the in the recording lingo, wet them up with, uh, you know, with reverb in exactly the way that you want, uh, you know, again, all done, uh, you know, all done digitally. When you're when you're recording like this, it sounds like it's pretty difficult to record something live. It's got to be guitar, bass, you know, drums, vocals. It's got to be separate. It's really hard to record like this in a, with a live environment. Yeah, I, that that's absolutely right, right? I mean, the, the point of a studio like this is not, uh, you know, is, is of a home studio is not that you're going to cram your five-piece band in there and record them actually playing all the stuff at the same time. I, you know, the, no question about that. You know, even... Even some of the, you know, even some of the smaller, like I, I, I went to a local studio, recording studio here, um, uh, and we were doing, you know, we were doing some stuff, and you know, there was, you know, even that studio was really not designed for, you know, a band of any size to play live in, right? I mean, it was a, it was, you know, it was a hundred percent dedicated studio space, but you know, there were, there were, you know, there there was just not enough room there for that to happen in, you know, that is, you know, that's a much tougher thing to do. You know, you have the, you know, there, uh, and in that case, you're, you know, you really are trying to record most of that stuff in space. So, uh, you know, there, that is not really, that is not really the purview of a home studio. Now, what a lot of people would do in a home studio uh, potentially is, uh, you know, is just the, you know, editing, mixing and, 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 touching up or whatever of the recording that's been done somewhere else. Right. Um, but, uh, but yeah, if you've got, I mean, even if you were just a power trio, uh, you know, there, you have to have more, you know, more space and sort of a different set of uh, considerations. If you're going to record that, um, if you're going to record that way, you know, because part of it is if you're going to record a, as a band playing as a band, um, you know, you have to be able to, you, have, you know, the band's got to be able to hear themselves in real time and record it in real time. Um, and, you know, a typical small home recording studio is just not, it's just not set up for that specifically. So the end game, you know, once you're finished with the computer, the interface, getting the room ready, fixing the room, and then recording, what is next for a home studio? Now you have all this stuff, you've got everything, there's the editing, there's the actual, you know, producing. There's really no engineering work when it comes to that stuff. Is that correct? 
Yeah, I mean, if you're comfortable doing it, right? So you know, there, you know, all of the all of the mixing, all of the mixing and editing, and all of that stuff, you know, is done in the, is done in software on the computer, right? Where you've already, where you've already got this stuff. So, and it's actually, you know, it's actually interesting. I mean, there, you know, you can you can send that out to somebody and ask them to mix it for you, right? I mean, you're literally just sending them the files. You, you know, you, you don't even you could put them on a thumb drive, or you could just upload them to, you know mega or dropbox or retransfer or whatever um and you know the person can pull down the you know individual tracks and then and uh, you know and then mix it that way and a lot of that you know the, a lot of that stuff is uh you know is certainly all possible if you know the person who's played the music doesn't also want to be the person who's mixing it and you know some people you know want to mix their own music and 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 some people don't um so, you know, it can be, you know, it can, it, it can, that can kind of go either way. The ability to do very high quality digital recording has made it such that it is, it is much easier to, you know, do that handoff to a third party, uh, you know, to do the, uh, you know, to do the mixing and, and, you know, potentially mastering separately um, from uh, the person who did the digital recording in the first place. Where does this continue to evolve? Like where, where does this keep going? right? Like what's next for these home studios? Is there anything that can't be done now that will be done eventually? Will be able to be, be done eventually? Yeah. You know, I, I, I think that, I think that it would be, you hit on something that I think would be, you know, would, would certainly be interesting is, you know, at, at, at what point, um, you know, will it be possible to even make um, recording of live music, you know, that much easier. And right now when, when bands record themselves live, um, you know, it's being typically recorded, you know, directly off the soundboard, uh, you know, into some kind of, uh, you know, some kind of digital recorder, whether it's just a laptop that's set up for that purpose, or there's some purpose built digital recorders, some companies like sound devices that'll, that allow for that sort of thing. Um, uh, and you know, there, you know, the, even, even at that, um, you know, if you've, if you've set it up well enough so that you're, you know, capturing all of the individual feeds going into the soundboard separately, um, you know, you have the ability to, you know, make a pretty, you know, to later make a pretty great sounding recording from, uh, you know, from those digital files, you know, there, the, we didn't talk specifically about this, but, you know, back in the old days when you'd, you'd talk about having a soundboard recording, somebody had just run, literally run a tape from the soundboard right the problem with that is that the person who was making the mix for the pa is making the mix for how it sounds in the house that is not necessarily in fact it's almost certainly not how it's going to sound best if you then want to just play it back on your home stereo <laughs> right you know a concert hall is a very different animal than uh you know than a uh, um domestic stereo or car or whatever is. And so, you know, a lot of the, you know, the mixes from, you know, you know, so-called soundboard recordings that were just that are, you know, not the kind of thing that you would actually want from a live recording. And that's when, that's why back in the day when, you know, artists were going to make live recordings, they knew they were going to make live recordings. And they brought all the gear very separately to make those recordings from, right. Because it was a totally separate bunch of stuff. Now, um, you know, if you, you know, if you will actually go and record every single instrument feed directly into the mixing board at the live recording, you can go mix that again in the digital domain very, you know, sort of easily and inexpensively and, um, and actually go and make it sound good for a, you know, normal stereo listening release. Um, and so, you know, I think, I don't know, I don't know that even as much of that is being done as maybe should be, um, you know, I'd love to, I'd love to hear, you know, I don't know, maybe you do see this, Jay, but I don't, I don't see nearly as much um, of that kind of live material being made available by a lot of bands as it seems like they ought to be able to, um, you know, if they focused a little more on actually recording their live gigs and then, you know, releasing the good stuff. And I wish more bands would do that. Yeah, I think in terms of live recording for an album, the one that comes to mind that was done recently was Blackberry Smoke. And they went yep. on, the, on the You Hear Georgia album and yep. they went into a studio and they did that. They cut it 
live basically but i think it's very difficult to do that now because especially with a lot of emerging bands or younger bands because funds have been limited over the last yep. couple of years because of the pandemic and now inflation is cutting into funds that are you know that you're making on the road so it's a challenge financially and economically for a band to go and cut an album that way and that's why it's hard for a new band to do something like that i guess my last question before we close is like most technology great technology ends the old way of doing things whether it's the phone whether it's a cd player you know and and all that stuff you can get your music online because of the technology is is this heading towards the extinction of those studios that we all know as rock fans as music fans I mean, I think that process has already started, right? Although I, I think what you know, I think what has happened so far is is that there, you know, there's there's an ability for a lot more artists to actually make albums than than existed back in the days where you had to go to an expensive studio to do it. Um, but um, the easier and cheaper it gets to record at home. Uh, the less likely, I mean, look, I, you know, only a tiny, 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 tiny fraction of musicians actually make a lot of money for, you know, from their music. Right. So, you know, the, 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 the more cost effective it becomes to make really good sounding records at home uh, and, and to make those recordings in, in, in your home, I, I, you know, I, I think the future for you know, large scale recording studios is going to be limited to the top, to those top handful of artists who you know make enough money that they frankly just don't want to be bothered with doing anything other than showing up and having somebody do every bit of the work for them, and they're in a financial position to have that happen. Um, uh, and that's probably the limit of of, uh, of the kind of musicians who are going to use, for the most part, are going to use professional recording studios going forward. I do want to say one other thing though about that. There's a middle ground here, right? You know, there are there are kind of there are kind of quasi-professional recording studios that are really people who have just put together a really, really nice recording studio at home um, who will make recordings for who, you know for bands at a more cost-effective rate than a big-time studio would by far, right? So, uh, you know, there, there's, the, you know, this whole same evolution in, uh, you know, in the ability to make a recording studio in your home has led some uh enterprising individuals to set up you know the kind of semi-pro service right way cheaper than a big time recording studio um but where you could still literally kind of walk in and have somebody else guide you through the through the process of doing everything um but so, isn't there also know. the is there also the attraction for an artist to work with a specific producer who has a studio i mean i think that's always going to exist right you're a new band of course you're probably going to take the route of trying to do as much at home as you can have someone mix it do all that stuff send it out probably if you're if you're really serious about it and then as you kind of grow with your band and you have a couple albums under your belt or maybe after your first album or maybe you have the means to get a producer that you want for your first debut album i think that's always going to exist right i think there's always going to have that authenticity of going into a studio in nashville or la or new york or wherever it is and having that be part of your um your evolution as the artist right yeah i think i think that's true again for artists that 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 have achieved you know at least some level of success already right uh, you know that the, and and are you know and are in a put or just maybe somehow happen to be in a position to do that, right? But I mean everything you know everything like that that you layer on is just more expense, right? Mm -hmm. So it depends. You know if you're just getting started, then you know you're probably trying to do it on the cheap as much as possible. But to your point, if you've got if you've had in a, maybe one or two albums that have been successful, and you know you're trying to take that next step, both in terms of you know, kind of production slickness and sound quality and all that sort of stuff, or maybe just have a producer who is, to your point, somewhat influencing the sound of the record, right? Then, yeah, I mean, I, I do think that'll always be there. But I think that, 
you, that's going to always be limited to some top percentage of the musical acts that are out there and not, and certainly not the, you know, certainly not the most of the beginners. Anything else we haven't covered or, or that you have to add to this conversation? No, I think that's uh, I think that's uh, a, you know, a pretty good lay of the land of where things are. You know, it's an interesting, it's an interesting bit for me that, uh, you know, that I've enjoyed seeing, uh, you know, I've always been more of a, uh, you know, of a music consumer, although, uh, you know, I am, I'm a, uh, um, I'm a, I'm a big time uh, proponent, as I've said, of analog tape, and I got a bunch of studer tape decks around here. So, um, you know, I've always been uh, very interested in that, in that part of it, but it's been fun for me to watch, you know, my own musician son go through the process of recording and then releasing you know, albums that he's done entirely in the digital domain and, and, uh, you know, seeing how that process has worked for him and, you know, trying to help him out with a few basic things uh, um, to try to make those sound as good as possible. Rob, it's been a blast, man, as always. It is such a pleasure. I uh, appreciate you having me on once again and uh, uh, look forward to whatever uh, branch of audio we uh, come up with to talk about next time. Yeah, I got a good one coming up for the holiday season, so... Um, nice. we'll talk offline on that but as always man it's a blast it's a pleasure having you on you're always so informative you you always are very well researched i know the audience i know the listeners always enjoy these episodes they always get great feedback because of you and uh once again thank you very much my pleasure man we'll talk again soon see you jack everyone that is skylab tapes at skylab tapes his name is rob but uh, you can follow him on twitter like I just mentioned, at Skylab Tapes. I'm Jay Scott. This has been another episode of The Hook Rocks, the ultimate rock community podcast. Take care of each other. We'll talk soon. Thanks. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.